Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and today we're going to talk a little bit more philosophy and ideas than typical on the show. Gonna Don't worry, we're going to do X's and O's, we're going to do picks, all that stuff for the NFL playoffs a little, little bit later in the week, but today we're going to talk about philosophy, execution of ideas, and what good leadership in an administrative role in sports looks like because at some point the people will get fed up and you saw that manifest itself with the New York football giants who are not the subject of today's show don't worry after the rants last Thursday I think everybody kind of got the gist of where I am at on the giants and it's very clear that the public pressure got to them got to John Mara and to Steve Tisch and that Joe Judge Dave Gettleman Kevin Abrams probably Chris Pettit anybody who was affiliated with anything that has happened with the organization since the Super Bowl win in 2011 is toxic, un, an untenable situation going forward because of just how bad things have gotten. Now, on the other side of that coin are the situations where the public-facing leaders, so whether it be your coach, your general manager, your prominent players, or your owner, in some cases where your owner is very public-facing, Everybody's in denial, and that was going to be the subject matter of today's episode before Joe Judge got fired, but because Judge got fired, I think we can use that as a really good comparison point of when you realize things aren't working, how long you should give the people in charge to figure out what isn't working, and then how long does it take you to realize that the people who are in charge are in outright denial. And that brings us to the Edmonton Oilers, General Manager Ken Holland, Head Coach Dave Tippett, a very, very top-heavy roster with just three or four impact players and then a whole lot of depth pieces and a very poor situation considering that team has two of like the eight best players in the entire sport. That'll be the subject of today's episode, and we're going to use the Oilers and the Giants as our frames of reference. I hope everybody got a chance to check out yesterday's show with my good friend, Gabriella Carroll of the Daily Northwestern. We talked about the national title game between Alabama and Georgia, reflected on the 2021 college football season, looked ahead to next season, gave some very silly college football playoff predictions a year ahead of time, and unpacked a little bit of the problems within college football media at the time. Really good episode, always good. It's always good to talk football with one of my really good friends and Gabriella really really good conversation I hope everybody gets a chance to check that out aside from that support the show whatever podcasting platform you like to use Apple Podcasts, Spotify SoundCloud Stitcher Google Play wherever you get your podcast the show is available there please 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 subscribe to the show unsubscribe resubscribe if you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify please leave a review whether it be stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, a written review on Apple Podcasts is really helpful. Any and all feedback is good. The more engagement the show gets, the better the show does. It's easier for me to do things with the show. Greatly appreciated any and all support we get here. All right, let's get on into it. Not going to be a particularly long episode. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop. And with that, we will jump on into it. So, first things first, we got to start with a frame of reference. A functioning sports franchise 
has a clear direction, whether that be rebuilding, getting to contending or contending, you are somewhere in one of those three boxes. If you are not in one of those three boxes, you are do not have a clear direction of your franchise and it becomes a lot more difficult to be successful. So, in a vacuum, you should be in one of those three places. Now, situational factors arise. People get hurt, prospects don't pan out, you lose a trade, you mess up a free agency, something like that. Okay, that's part of this. But the problems start when you have an organization that thinks they are one of these three things, but isn't the one they think they are. Case in point, the Edmonton Oilers and their general manager, Ken Holland. Holland was hired in the spring of 2019. He's been on the job about two and a half years now. And the Oilers and Holland project that they are Stanley Cup contenders, that they are in the tier of team with the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Maple Leafs, the Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights. For a while now, since McDavid's arrival and since... Leon Dreisaitl's emergence as a solid running mate, the Oilers have been rearranging the pieces around them. They've had goaltending issues, defenseman issues, bottom six, second, bottom six forwards, second line forwards. They've tried to orient their lineup around McDavid and Dreisaitl. First, it was Peter Shirelli, who very, very badly managed that situation around those two bungled a lot of valuable time before McDavid and Dreisaitl started making real money. And then Holland gets there in 2019 after a long stint in Detroit, and the Oilers are still trying to be contenders and rebuild at the same time, and it is why their their plan is not working. Holland is very, very stubborn in his unwillingness to move younger assets or draft picks for veteran players of quality. He will trade for garbage. He will add garbage. I mean, he dramatically overpaid for Duncan Keith, and Keith hasn't been as bad as I thought he would be in Edmonton, and that's partly because he's playing a significantly smaller role in Edmonton than he has in, than he did in Chicago the last couple of years. But big picture-wise, Edmonton thinks they are a Stanley Cup contender. They have the talent of a... Tier 2 team. A, we can make the playoffs, but we cannot do anything once we get there. And there are a lot of teams in every sport that do that. And that, I'll, I'll call it delusion, because it is. Uh, any objective party looking at the Oilers roster could tell you that team is not good enough to win a Stanley Cup. Edmonton will project that that is not true. Edmonton will say, we feel like we are a cup contender because of Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, and to a lesser extent, Darnell Nurse and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. But that's not true. And we know that, and we can... The public out there can call bullshit when they see it. But there was Ken Holland on Tuesday afternoon at a press conference going before the media saying, no, we're not going to trade draft picks. No, we're not going to trade young players. The solution to our problem is in that dressing room. Well, Ken, that would mean that players have to do things they've never done before. And there's a few ways that could go. That could be a young player emerging and developing. That could be a veteran player doing something they've never done before. But you got to do something to inspire change. If you just leave everything the same and expect the same situation to produce different results, you're delusional, which is very clearly where Detroit is. And... 
one of the factors that we don't talk enough about in this conversation about direction of franchises, what the team's messaging is, the interest of the team and the interest of the executive or the coach or the owner are not always aligned. What's good for the individual may not be good for the franchise and vice versa. Sometimes individuals will have to make decisions that are bad for their future, but better for the team's future. And the ones that are willing to do that and explain their plan in a sufficient manner get to stay in their job a very long time. Then there are the ones who ride out the storm and try their very best to connive their way as long as they can at the job, taking half measures and trying to cut corners to make progress without actually doing the work to make progress. That's the thing of it all. If you wanted to compete with this roster around McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Nurse, there was a path to doing that. The Oilers just didn't take that path. And that, in part, speaks to a talent evaluation problem, which the Oilers have long had, dating back to Shirelli, and even before Shirelli, before I really started following hockey on a day-to-day basis as a media person, even long before Peter Shirelli got there from Boston, they had had talent evaluation problems, and that's part of this. If you can't evaluate talent properly, you're not understanding where your team really is, these are reflections of an organization that does not have a direction. Now, It's very easy for somebody who's outside the organization, like me, to make these snapshot judgments, to say, Ken, all you got to do is put the team before yourself for a minute and realize you've got two of the eight best players on the planet. Nugent Hopkins is a high-end second-line player, and Darnell Nurse is probably a low-end first-pair defenseman. He's definitely one of the 64 best defensemen in the league, so by definition, he is is a first-pair defenseman. But until you take the meaningful steps to build a team properly, you're not going to make any progress. And Edmonton refuses to adapt to the league. They have insisted on trying to find these bargain bin guys to fill out the bottom six who don't get any production. They've taken flyers on a bunch of different types of players, guys like Kyle Turris, guys like James Neal, guys like they've traded, they spent a boatload of money on Milan Lucic on day one of free agency five, six years ago. They have tried to get better. They don't understand talent evaluation well enough to get better, which is part of this problem. And then again, as I'm sitting here talking about it, do I really want Ken Holland trading away first-round picks or draft picks to get a Ben Sherratt? Is Ben Sherratt from the Montreal Canadiens really going to solve Edmonton's problems? No. Edmonton is outscored 2-1 to one when McDavid and Dreisaitl are not on the ice. That is untenable for even as good as McDavid and Dreisaitl are. If those two guys combine for three goals a night between the two of them, that's still not enough if you're giving up four, which has been a problem this year because the goaltending has regressed back to earth, which anybody with a brain could have told you was going to happen when your two goaltenders were 40-year-old Mike Smith and Miko Koiskinen, who has never been a truly good 1B. Koiskinen has had good 15-game stretches. He's not a starter in the NHL. He's a backup, and that's fine. But you have to have a true number one if you're going to have a guy like Koiskinen. And Koiskinen's getting paid too much to be a conventional backup. He's getting paid, I believe, close to four, a little more than $4 million. That was Peter Shirelli's last gift. He 
gave that contract in December before he got fired a couple weeks later, and the Oilers have just chosen to write it out. He's only got one year left, but the Oilers are getting subpar goaltending. Both their goalies are below 900 save percentage on the year, which is bad. The league average for a NHL goaltender is 910, so if you are at 900 flat or lower, you are below average. Below average goaltending, mediocre defense, top-heavy offense. This is not a recipe for long-term success. You can be successful in the regular season with high-end talent. High-end talent has the ability to elevate itself and beat lesser talent in certain situations. There are 32 teams in the NHL. By definition, there are going to be teams in that lower half that are going to be less talented, and you're going to be able to beat up on them. Last year, Edmonton was able to beat up on a weird quirk. They were able to take advantage of the fact that that division, the North Division, the All-Canadian Division, was not playing great defense. Kind of similar to how the different European soccer leagues all have slightly different styles from one another. Where the Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, League One, the Premier League, they all play soccer, but they all play slightly different versions. In last year's North Division, you got something reminiscent of the Dutch First League, which isn't one of the big five leagues in European soccer, but the Dutch League is known for high-scoring offenses, not a lot of defense, and it's where lesser players have gone to build back up their value, putting up good statistical seasons, and that's kind of what happened last year in the North Division, where you saw a lot of offense. I mean, McDavid recorded 100 points in 56 games. Just otherworldly statistical production because of a quirk in the schedule. Now, they're going to have to play genuinely good teams on a more consistent basis, not just be able to feast on the Oilers. The Oilers aren't going to be able to feast on Ottawa, Vancouver, the weird stretches that Toronto went through towards the end of last season where they sputtered on the power play and couldn't score, but were still bad defensively, so Edmonton was able to win scoring races with them. Now, this is an untenable situation going forward. I don't know what goes on in Connor McDavid's head. It, it seems like a very sad and depressing place. I hope Connor is, like, okay. If Connor McDavid was the in the NBA and this was his situation, he probably would be out there saying, I want to be traded in a way that Ben Simmons was, in a way that James Harden was in Houston last year before he got traded to the Nets. We've seen this. This is a very common thing in the NBA where the players dictate things more than the teams do to a majority of, I would say, it more so than in any other sport where the the players are run the NBA they go where they want to and they're able to enact agency over their own careers we haven't really seen that in the NHL we've seen individual instances of it like Jack Eichel getting the surgery he wanted and getting traded that was really a, a damn breaking moment for the league now it's time for somebody like McDavid who's clearly the best player in the world who's maybe the most recognizable face in the sport to people who follow the sport to do something for everybody else it is time for him to start back channeling out there to hockey media that this situation needs to improve or i would like to be traded it's very simple it's very straightforward i don't think Connor mcdavid is the type of person to do it which is part of the problem he doesn't have that like he doesn't have a dick streak like Jack Eichel did, where even when Eichel was playing well in Buffalo, he rubbed people the wrong way who from the outside who didn't get it. 
And I understand that older people are very much of the opinion that players should just be playing their sport and not be so worried about other things. And Eichel very vocally about what he wanted in his career rubbed people the wrong way. I have no problem with it. You only get to play a professional sport for X number of years in your life. You should get to play where you want to. You should get to be able to make as much money as you want to. I have no problem with that. I never really understood people bemoaning that. But... Connor doesn't seem like that type of guy who's going to try and force the organization's hand. And it's a shame because if Connor wanted to, he could get real action done and he could dramatically alter the landscape in this league forever. I do think Connor McDavid will try and get out of Edmonton in the not too distant future, but he won't do it in the NBA way. It'll happen, but the Oilers have had him seven years now, I believe. Yep. Yes, he's been in the league seven years, not counting his rookie year where he only played like 40 games. They've had six They've had six seasons of Connor McDavid. They've made the playoffs three times. They've only won a playoff series once. That was way back in, I think, 2017, the first year Cam Talbot and Milan Lucic were there. I think that was the first. I'm not sure. They, the year they lost to the Ducks in the second round, that was the last time the Oilers won a playoff series. They lost in the bubble as a higher seed to the Blackhawks. Then last year they got swept by the Jets in very embarrassing fashion. At some point, somebody needs to put their foot down. It seems that Ken Holland is going to add to a volatile situation and very stupidly bring in Evander Kane, which is only going to make things worse because the last thing a bad team, a bad environment needs is another toxic person. And that's not to say Edmonton has a toxic locker room right now, but losing consistently when you're expected to be good is draining and taxing. And the last thing that environment needs is a guy like Evander Kane who doesn't, who never thinks he's the problem and is always going to put the blame on others for things he chooses to do, whether it be faking a vaccine card, multiple instances of domestic abuse, multiple allegations of sexual assault. It's always the other person with Evander Kane. It's never, I need to be better. It's never, I made a mistake. It's always, this person was crazy. This person is trying to ruin my life. It has never once been his fault. And it's bad. It is genuinely bad that Ken Holland is going to take the easy way out. He is going to um, try and get somebody who is good at hockey. Yes, Evander Kane is a terrible human being, but he is good at hockey. And because Edmonton can get him as a depreciated asset for not as much money, Ken Holland will say, come on in, Evander. You get to play on Connor McDavid's wing for the rest of the season, build back up your value, and have a regular free agency this upcoming summer. That is probably what is going to happen. It's not official that Evander Kane is going to sign in Edmonton. There's conjecture out there that he is going to. And during the press conference on Tuesday, some one of the reporters asked Ken Holland about Kane and said, I be, and Ken Holland said, I quote, I believe in second chances, even though this is Evander Kane's like seventh chance, but that's not the point. The Oilers are in denial over the direction of their team, the talent on their team, and they're choosing to not resolve their issues. They are rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's one of my favorite cliches in sports, but as long as the ship is still going down, it doesn't matter what you put on the ship. And that's the state of the Oilers right now. Unless you start getting 930 save percentages from Mike Smith again, or you trade for or you bring up Hunter Skinner from the AHL. The, who's their third goalie in their organizational depth chart. Unless you make that decision, 
I just don't see a recipe for this Oilers team to even even if they do make the playoffs, which there's plenty of time for them to. I mean, they're sitting at 18, 14, and 2. The season is still very young. They're only 34 games into an 82-game season. There's plenty of time for them to turn this around, and the Pacific Division is pretty mediocre, so there's plenty of time. If you're not winning a Stanley Cup and the direction of your team is cup contender and you're not making a conscious effort to improve the quality of your team, you are lying to yourself and you're lying to the public, which is what the Oilers are doing. You know what the Oilers did this offseason as their we want to win a Stanley Cup? They traded for 30-something-year-old Duncan Keith. I think Duncan Keith is like 37, 38 years old, something like that. And Keith hasn't been atrocious in Edmonton, which is a pleasant surprise. I was expecting him to be pretty bad. But that is the type of move a team like Colorado, Tampa, Florida makes, where you bring in the aging veteran to kind of assuage the younger guys, kind of show them the way, that intangible bullshit that sports writers eat up and believe in for some reason, even though I would always rather have a talented player over somebody whose main feature is intangibles. Now, there are limits to that. I would rather have Duncan Keith on my team than Evander Kane. If you said I had to have one of them on the Rangers, I would rather have the slightly less talented guy over the dickhead. That That's just simple. You got him, pick one. It's more important that you don't bring toxic people into an already volatile situation. Now, it's interesting because for the last five years, the Giants were in the state of denial. The New York football Giants under Dave Gettleman with Pat Shermer and Joe Judge were all in the state of denial. Everybody was going along. Things were just fine. John Mara wanted them to bring Eli back as the starting quarterback. So Dave Gettleman said, you know what, John? We're going to draft the running back, and we're going to get Eli help, and we're going to contend for one more Super Bowl with Eli, even though Eli was pretty clearly close to the end of the line. They still milked two more seasons out of it, one and a half, because he didn't start all of the games the year Jones was a rookie. But you, you understand my point here. When you are projecting one thing, but your roster is another thing, you are lying. Whether it be delusion or intentionally lying, you are part of the problem. Recognizing there is a problem and figuring out how to change what you're doing is not something that everybody figures out, and it is why there are failures in sports. It is why teams become prolonged, sustained losers. The Giants have been sustained losers. They have one playoff appearance since 2011, a game they played atrociously in, in Green Bay. Ben McAdoo got fired midway through the next season, I believe 12 games into the following season. They brought in Pat Shermer. Then they fired Jerry Reese. And they fired Jerry Reese and McAdoo at the same time. But they bring in Gettleman. Gettleman comes in with Shermer. Shermer lasts two years. Gone. Judge comes in two years. Gone. Now, at least it seems like the Giants have identified the problem. They have realized, hey, the people we have evaluating our talent aren't making the right decisions. We need to get somebody from outside the organization in here to help us evaluate talent and change the direction of our team. Right now, the Oilers are not recognizing the direction of their team. They are not making conscious steps to improve the state of their team. And they are projecting bullshit. They are still expecting everybody and their mother to come out to Rogers Place and pay gaudy ticket prices to see a subpar hockey team. And that's not okay. At some point, it becomes a matter of accepting responsibility and being grounded in reality, or you just look like a dick. 
flat out, Joe Judge, the last couple weeks, was up there at the microphone after games looking like a dickhead, saying, yeah, we're not that far away. We're a lot closer to a Super Bowl than we are the first overall pick. That's fucking nonsense. That is absolute nonsense. And you sound that out of touch with reality, eventually people are going to get fed up and it got Joe Judge fired. Now, I don't know if the people in Edmonton can even get that mad at this point based on how the last 17 years as an organization have gone. But the public at some point gotta gotta make a ruckus because what Ken Holland's doing isn't working. And he's only been on that job for two years, which is a little bit on the shorter end of general manager lifespan in the NHL. NHL GMs usually average a five-year-ish tenure. But he is not making an attempt to improve the situation. He is not accepting responsibility for the problems of the team. He is not accepting any accountability that maybe he is part of the problem. That's all I ever want from anybody in these leadership positions. If the team is underperforming and not playing well, say I need to be better. It's not just about the players on the team. It's not just about the coaches. I need to do my job as general manager, president, owner, whatever. I need to do a better job so that everybody else around me can do a better job. And that's all I want to hear from people in leadership positions affiliated with my teams. As long as you identify that things are not okay and that they need to improve and you say we're going to make things better because this is not working, I can live with that. That's all I wanted to hear at some point in the last two years under Joe Judge. Instead, he kept saying they're not that far away, and they did things well in situations where they lost by 15 points. You can't lose a game 33-3 to and say, I think we did some things well and we're heading in the right direction. No, you're not. That is lying. Lying to the public is bad. You are part of your responsibility as a public figure affiliated in professional sports is media obligation. You need to know how to talk to the media. You can be... Unless you are the greatest coach of all time, like Belichick or Saban, you cannot just be an outright dickhead to the public. Otherwise, you come across like come across like an asshole. And when it it comes time to be accountable, people will not give you the benefit of the doubt, which is what happened with Joe Judge. He was an asshole, and he got he got what he deserved. He was an arrogant asshole who did not accept input from other people, who always insisted, it's fine, I know what we need to do, I know what we need to do. Anybody who's swearing that they're the only person who can improve the situation is full of shit. That's one of the thing. That's one of the biggest red flags you can hear from anybody in a leadership position in sports. Is don't worry, I know what I am doing. It should never be I know what I am doing. It is me and the team, me and my team are going to figure this out, and we are going to make it better. You can very clearly tell Ken Holland does not have anybody in that organization who gives him input that he doesn't want to hear, because the state of the team is not tenable. Expecting McDavid and Dreisaitl to combine for four goals every single night is not a recipe for success. Maybe the team defense can be a little bit tighter. Maybe the goaltending can go from 900 to 905, maybe 910. If you get to that, maybe you're a playoff team, and maybe you can win a playoff round if you get matched up with, you get a favorable matchup. But expecting 
miraculous things to happen because you have two elite players is not a recipe for success. Yeah, on occasion, you get weird shit, like the Canadians making the cup final or the Rangers making the cup final in 2014. Occasionally, you get the team with the one player who goes Super Saiyan for a while, like the, like the Canadians did with Carey Price for a while there. Occasionally, you can do that. That is not a plan. Hoping for a good outcome instead of making steps to help that outcome is not a plan. That's foolhardiness. That is being delusional. I keep coming back to that word because it is the only way to describe people like Ken Holland and Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge who swear that they know what they need to be doing even though the results aren't changing. When you're asking, I'm going to quote what I believe it was Ryan Clark of ESPN has said a few times over the last couple of weeks talking about Joe Judge. If you are asking people to evaluate you on things that cannot be measured, you are asking for results to not matter. That is fine for a short period of time. A prolonged or extended period of time of saying the results don't matter, the process is what matters, that works for a little while. You cannot get away with that for more than a year. Even general managers, even very bad general managers, which there are plenty of in every sport, eventually lying and being delusional catches up to you. And if you go out badly enough, you may never get another chance again. Or you might have to wait 10 years to get another chance again. That's what I don't understand about being so self-interested in these kind of roles. By taking a general manager, a presidency, a head coaching job, you acknowledge that you need to be able to work with other people. If you can't do that, you should not take this job. It's very clear that Joe Judge was not a good people person. Dave Gettleman is not a good people person. Ken Holland is not a good people person. You have to be able to manage interpersonal relationships. You have to have people who can give you pushback and tell you when you're wrong. Ken Holland does not have anybody telling him when he makes a wrong decision because all he does is make wrong decisions. Okay. That's about a half hour. That's really all I wanted to complain about today. The Oilers irked me. The, the Vander Kane stuff is a fucking joke. If that guy gets back in the league, I, I just don't get it at this point. I just don't get it. I'm very happy the Giants let go of Joe Judge, though. It does seem like the Giants have learned the lesson and what happens if you push the fan base to the point of mutiny, which is where it was. There were maybe 15,000 people at MetLife Stadium on Sunday for Giants-Washington football team. And 15,000 is being generous. I really, it really seemed, that seems like a generous estimate. And there's a reason they weren't showing crowd shots on Fox a lot because the stadium was so empty. But if you push the fan base to the point of mutiny, Giant fans have shown they even giant fans for as delusional as this the older sect of it is there is a breaking point where the edmonton oiler fan base breaking point is i don't know uh we'll see how many more jerseys get thrown on the ice over the course of the season i hope Connor mcdavid and dry both ask out of there that is a terribly run organization and there's a reason they haven't won anything since the 1980s i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode like i said if you Get a chance, check out Tuesday's episode with Gabriella Carroll. We had a really good conversation about college football. And I always got to plug episodes with guests because people were nice enough to give me their time. So if I, they're going to give me their time, I would like some people to give them my time, which would be nice. Okay, 
I'll see you guys tomorrow, and we're going to start doing NFL playoff stuff. We're going to break it up. Thursday will be one conference. Friday will be the other conference. Got to give each conference a full episode because each game deserves a solid 20 minutes of discussion. Trying to get into some X's and O's stuff. I will try and crunch some tape. Going to have to renew my Game Pass subscription, even though I've gotten through this point in the season without needing it. I need it for this time of year. I need to look for quirks and tendencies and formations and personnel and all the stuff that makes me a football nerd. I'll see you guys tomorrow.